Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 5. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author Micah Edwards, all of them centered around some quite malevolent reading material. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first terrifying tale. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes, with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from Micah Edwards is an epic hour-long introduction to the subject of today's episode. When a new homeowner finds a mysterious box in his attic, he has no idea what he's getting into or what's about to get into him. Without further ado, I present to you The Dark Book. Last year I bought a house... It was about as bland and suburban a house as you can imagine. I mean, I, I like it fine, but it's 
a cookie-cutter house from the mid-90s. It's got vinyl siding and an inoffensive shade of blue. The family that lived here before was an older couple who were starting to have trouble with the stairs, and they'd been in the house since it was built. The husband had a model train set, and the wife collected decorative spoons. They had pictures of their grandchildren up on the walls. You could not possibly picture a less haunted house. I'm making that point to explain why, when I found a weird box in the attic last week. It never occurred to me to wonder where it came from. You know those military ammo cans, the metal things, with one big latch on the side? It was one of those. It definitely wasn't mine. I don't even own a gun. I figured it must have belonged to the previous owners, and they missed it uh, when packing up when they moved out. It was pretty well hidden, tucked away back in a corner of the attic where the roof slopes down to meet the floor. I would have never found it myself, except that I heard a squirrel or a possum or something scratching around on the roof, and I came upstairs with a flashlight to make sure it hadn't gotten inside. I was poking around in all of the crevices of the attic with my light, and that's when I cut a glint off of the metal of the box. Who doesn't love a good mystery, right? I pulled the box out of the corner and turned it over in the light. It was black and almost completely featureless, nothing but the big latch holding it closed on one side and a stamp in the metal on the bottom. It was an image of three intersecting rings, like an evenly spaced Venn diagram. I looked the picture up later, and apparently they're called Baromian rings. They've been used to represent everything from religion to beer, neither of which seemed likely to be inside my mystery box. I tried the latch, but either I was trying to open it the wrong way, or it was rusted shut or something. Whatever the case, it wouldn't budge. So I brought the case back downstairs with me and fiddled with it a bit more in better lighting. Still no dice, though. The latch just wouldn't budge. After a while, I got frustrated with it and left it on the kitchen table to deal with later. I live alone, so if I want to dump ammo boxes on the table, I can. It's one of the perks. I can also attempt to chisel those same ammo boxes open at the kitchen table, which is what I ended up doing the next morning. Turns out those things are built pretty well, so my first few hits did nothing. As I was setting the chisel for my fifth or sixth hit, though, it skidded sideways on the box and I sliced into the side of my hand with the edge. You know, the webbing in between your thumb and forefinger? Got myself right there. Nice little neck. It started bleeding immediately, and I hopped up and ran over to the sink to wash it out and disinfect it. I don't know what diseases you can get from things that have been collecting dust in an attic, and I don't want to know. Funny thing is, when I came back to the table, the latch was open. I must have popped it with the chisel as I was setting it that last time or something. Maybe that's why it skidded in the first place. Anyway, the box was unlatched and it opened and closed easily when I tried it. No squeaking or stiffness in the hinges or anything. I even tried relatching it and it worked just fine. I took out the contents before I latched it again, just in case it did get stuck. Here's what was inside. A thin hardback book bound in black leather and tied with a black silk ribbon. Two bronze rings wrapped up in a black silk cloth. A six-inch long steel needle. A tiny jar, the size they put lip gloss in, full of some sort of putty. And a slip of paper with a string of numbers. The paper was on top of everything else, so it was the first thing I saw. It was handwritten said 05-02-2018-1537-4201-55-93-3-2-1. 
34, 51, 38, 46. The other side was blank. I held it up to the light in case there was something else hidden there, but couldn't make out any watermark or hidden text. So the first three numbers were obviously a date, May 2nd, and that meant that the fourth number was probably a time. The rest of it took me a little while to figure out, but the negative finally clued me in. The next six numbers were coordinates, latitude and longitude. When I plugged them into the Google Maps, I got a shock. Displayed on the screen was my house. I laughed about it a second later. I mean, I found this in my attic. It's not surprising that it got my latitude and longitude on it. Whoever put it there obviously knew where they were. It's a weird thing to do, but not difficult. Incidentally, I changed the coordinates here so that they point somewhere in Iowa now. I don't want anyone reading this to know precisely where I live. No offense. The last two numbers didn't make any sense at all to me. I puzzled over them for a few days, tried all sorts of possibilities, hide above sea level, percentage change of property value, length of text, but came up blank on all of them. So I left a slip of paper by the computer and basically forgot about it for a little while. The other items didn't make any more sense. The needle was exactly what you'd expect a needle to be. Pointy at one end, a small hole at the other. It stuck to a magnet and put a hole through a piece of paper. Nothing unusual happened in either case. The rings fit perfectly on my thumbs, which means they must have been made for a really big guy. They're too big for most people to wear on any of their fingers, unless they were designed as thumb rings, which is a pretty weird fashion statement. And even so, I'm above average height, so I think they'd be loose on most people's thumbs. The jar was weird. The putty in it was flesh-toned and very stretchy. I couldn't manage to pull it free of the jar or break a piece off. I got scissors to try to cut a piece free, but they sank partway in and got stuck. It took me almost a minute to get them out again afterward, and the putty showed no lasting marks once the scissors were gone. I crammed it back into its jar and closed the lid. But it wasn't until I got to the book that I really started to get creeped out. It was maybe a hundred pages long, and those Baromian rings were stamped into the leather of the cover. The pages were all made of some sort of heavy linen-feeling paper, and every page was covered in symbols in a heavy black ink. Occasionally there were diagrams, circles with intersecting lines and the like. Every few pages had a few larger symbols at the top, like a title. I couldn't read it, obviously. I don't even think it's a language. But you know how sometimes you hear a song on a radio that you haven't heard in years, maybe even decades? And if someone had asked you if you knew the words, you'd have said no. Maybe even said you didn't know the song. But as soon as you hear it, you know the words. Not ahead of time, but if you open your mouth and sing along... They just come flowing out? Reading this book was like that. I didn't know what it said, or even how to pronounce it. But I was certain that if I opened my mouth and started talking, I'd be saying it correctly, right all along with the text. I didn't do that, mind you. I was too unsettled by the feeling. I tied it back up with its ribbon and put it back in the box with everything else. I put the can back up in the attic and I planned to leave it there. That was early last week. On Friday, toward the end of the day, my boss asked me to come into his office. Seems they didn't need my services anymore, and while I could certainly count on them for a good reference, if I could have my desk cleared up by the end of the day, that would probably be best for everyone. Nice, right? Not even two weeks' notice. I've got a bit of money saved up, but not much. 
so I was going to have to find a new job fast. I took the weekend off to mope and feel sorry for myself, but on Monday I was hitting the digital bricks, spent the morning cleaning up my online profile, polishing my resume, and submitting to any job that looked promising. By early afternoon I was starting to get a little cross-eyed, and my attention was wandering. I was thinking about going outside, so I opened up a weather website to see what it was like outdoors. 38 degrees, 46% humidity. Not bad for a February stroll. I stood up to get my jacket, but as I did, my eye fell upon the slip of paper still next to my keyboard. I'd left it out when I put everything else back in the box. Those last two numbers leapt out at me. 38, 46. 38 degrees, 46% humidity. I checked the clock. It was 3.37 p.m. I got a chill down my spine. That slip of paper. 0502-2018. 1537. 4201-55. 93-34-51. 38-46 was essentially saying... On this date and time, at these given coordinates, the temperature and humidity will be this. They'd gotten everything right except for the date. And then I realized that in the British style, that was how you wrote February 5th. It was completely correct, and somehow predicted not only the specific details, but also precisely when I would notice them. This probably should have terrified me. It was completely impossible, after all, and I was definitely shaken, but then I thought about that book and the things I'd half known flipping through it. I'd caught a few of the titles, their meanings, anyway. Wealth, sight, harm, fetch, no. I stood there, thinking, for fifteen minutes or more. Finally, almost reluctantly, I went upstairs, opened the attic, and brought that box back down. The latch opened easily this time, even eagerly. Everything sat inside just as I'd left it. I took the book back out, and with a frizzing of fear, untied its ribbon again. I sat down on my couch and read silently, the strange symbols converting into words in my brain. It was a book of power, of spells, If it could do what it promised, I'd never work again in my life. Remote viewing, predicting the future, material transmutation, all this and more, page after page, detailing the necessary ritual, the preparations, the words. When I turned the final page and looked back up from the book, it was dark, as in past midnight. I looked back down at the book in my hands and could barely even make it shape in the dark room. But when I flipped through the pages, I could still read the symbols as clearly as ever. This chant to become undetectable. That ceremony to extend my lifespan. And through it all, a drumbeat. Wealth. Power. Life. I knew how to make the book work for me took the steel needle and pierced my left index finger with it. When the blood welled up, I touched the swollen drop of the rightmost of the interlocking rings on the cover. The blood flowed swiftly around it, staining the red circle. It represents my art and my commitment and enters me into a pack with the book. Twenty-four hours to let the blood set and we'll be linked. I don't yet know what the other two circles represent. I'm eager to find out. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I spent yesterday making preparations. I wasn't about to just start chanting out the first page that seemed interesting. I decided to start small, simple, do something little and see if there were hidden costs, things I didn't know. It was no good wishing someone dead and then finding out that the spell exacts an equal cost from the caster or anything like that. I'm not saying that I wished anyone dead anyway. It's just an example. But I'm still pretty ticked at my boss, so it's not off the table. (laughs) Just a joke. I settled on wealth. It seemed most relevant, plus the book kept falling open to that page when I laid it flat. It seemed like a good sign to me. Also, it looked fairly simple to perform. I wasn't totally sure of that, because reading along in my mind uh, wasn't the easiest thing in the world. After the first read-through, I started to get a headache pretty quickly. It was like the words wanted to be said, and keeping them in was causing a physical pressure behind my eyes. So it was tough to check to see if I'd missed anything. The premise was fairly simple, though. Attune the rings, pass the silk cloth through them, receive wealth. I didn't exactly know how to attune the rings, but my left hand throbbed when I read those symbols, so I figured it would be like the words. I would be able to follow along as I did it. Muscle memory of a long-forgotten action. My plan was to go to sleep early, get a good night's rest, and try this out in the morning. But when I opened my eyes, it was still pitch black in my room. My phone told me it was 12.41 a.m., but I felt as though I'd gotten a complete night's rest. I didn't feel nervous, afraid, or overly energized, just alert. And what probably wasn't a coincidence, it was at precisely this time last night that I'd pressed my bloody finger to the book bonding us. I thought about going to sleep, but it seemed foolish. I was awake now, after all. Why lie around in the dark and torment myself pretending to sleep when I could try out the book now? I got up, got dressed, and retrieved the book from my bedside table. Sitting cross-legged on the floor, I began. Actually, saying the words out loud was a tremendous relief. It felt like when your eardrums pop for the first time after a week-long cold, and everything suddenly sounds and feels so much clearer. The first dark rolling syllable broke the dam, and the rest of the ritual flooded out behind it. I began with the rings clasped in my right hand. I held them high, still speaking the ancient language aloud, and felt the power tingle down my arm. With my left hand, I picked up the needle, grasping it in my fist. I pressed my thumb into its point, and the feeling as it pricked my skin was almost erotic. I pressed my thumb into my other fist and squeezed it, feeling the blood flow freely. When I drew it forth again, the blood was gone, and one of the bronze rings was encircling the second joint. I drew the ring back off of my thumb with my right hand, and held both rings between thumb and forefinger. Taking up the black silk handkerchief in which the rings had been wrapped, I drew it through the two rings, pulling my blood-bound ring away from the end of the cloth as it went. 
My chanting deepened, slowing and growing more resonant as the cloth was pulled through. When only the very last bit of cloth had yet to pass through the ring, it caught for a split second, as if snagged on a nail. Then, just as I spoke the final word of the ritual, the cloth pulled free and dropped to the floor. It didn't flutter and dangle as silk should, but plummeted like a brick. Curious, I picked it up, and a small bank-wrapped bundle of $100 bills tumbled out. I counted 50 bills, a number confirmed by the $5,000 band encircling them. I stared at the money, unbelieving. $5,000? Just like that? Quickly, I repeated the ritual. What was a drop or two of blood compared to $5,000? For the cost of a shaving cut, I could get a year's salary. My hand shook with excitement, but as soon as I spoke the first symbol aloud, a deep calm settled over me. I felt no excitement, no fear, no anticipation, only focus. This time, at the conclusion... The cloth fell from my hands in a musical jangle. Coins rolled free, mainly pennies and quarters. I lifted it to see a pile of change, probably no more than ten dollars worth. Still, not a bad exchange rate, but nowhere near what I'd previously achieved. I tried for a third time, and this time produced a man's wallet. It had just under $100 in cash, several credit cards and a driver's license, announcing that it belonged to Lazar Yardinov, a resident of New York City. It was then I realized the obvious truth. This money was not being created. It was being taken, seemingly at random. I'd been lucky on my first pull, but there was no guarantee of that level of success ever again unless there was some way to attune the other ring as well. The spell had said nothing about it, but possibly it was mentioned somewhere else in the book. I leafed through, allowing the headers to echo in my mind. Reward, adroit, malign, no. That one had caught my eye before, and it seemed likely to help in this situation. I started to scan it, but my headache rapidly worsened as the words began to mob my mind. Throwing caution to the wind, I opened my mouth and intoned the words as my eyes passed over them. My hand moved of their own volition, twisting the black silk cloth into an arrow band. I raised it to my head as I chanted and wrapped it around my eyes, obscuring my vision of everything but the text. The black letters of that ancient language floated before me, darker than the blackness itself. I tied the blindfold behind my head and allowed myself to relax. Suddenly, I remembered a day spent by a pond in an ornamental garden years previous. I had met a man there, a soft-spoken man in a gray suit. I had been watching the fish dart around in the pond, small silver arrows the size of my hand. He had seated himself beside me at the pond's bank. He'd been carrying a blackfish in a plastic bag. What will you give me for this? He'd said. Or at least with the others, I told him. It's not my pond. He had laughed a rich, liquid sound. I cannot simply release it. Balance must be maintained. Will you not choose? I'd looked at the darting fish then. They all looked the same to me. Then, the man said, standing and striding into the pond, water and mud, staining the legs of his gray suit, you will not miss this one. He had darted his hand into the water and seized a fish. It had struggled in his grasp, failing in the air, desperate to return to the pond, but I'd only shrugged in response, and the man had opened his mouth, revealing a flash of sharp white teeth, and swallowed the fish whole. Enjoy, he told me, 
releasing the small black fish from its bag. I had immediately joined the others in their darting schools, and I'd watched them until the sun set that day. I opened my eyes again to darkness and the feel of cloth. I untied the blindfold, wondering why I had remembered that day in the park. I thought about the fish and realized that I knew how to attune the other ring. It was currently untuned, but I could focus it on a specific person or direct it to find wealth attached to no person at all. This was not new knowledge. I'd always known this. Strange that it had taken a ritual to remind me of such a basic thing. Then I thought again about my day in the park, a park I could not place outside of one specific memory, and I wondered what the man had taken from me in exchange. I made two unpleasant discoveries yesterday. The first came after I had attuned the opposition ring and used wealth to draw forth unclaimed riches. I had to squint against the sun to see the strange tarnished coins I'd produced, but surely it could not have been later than one or two in the morning. I'd awoken at 12.41 a.m. after all, and invoked the ritual only four times. I would have sworn that it had taken no longer than five minutes each time. My phone confirmed what I was seeing, though. It was past seven o'clock in the morning. Those forecastings, plus the memory of the no, had taken over six hours to complete, and I was ravenous. I took the book downstairs to breakfast and read the spell again silently, fighting the headache it produced. No symbol indicated anything about the time. Like tuning the ring, this was something I was supposed to already know. The only cost it spoke of was the drop of blood. Still, if I could work eight hours a day in an office for a paycheck, surely I could give away some of my time here as well. It bothered me that I did not seem to have used the time, that it simply seemed to be missing. But I told myself that in the end it didn't much matter where it had gone. I considered the possibility that I'd been in some sort of blackout state and had, unbeknownst to myself, obtained the wealth through more direct means during those missing hours. However, nothing indicated that I had left my house during that period. I was still barefoot, my doors were still locked, and my car's odometer had not changed. The time, it seemed, truly had just vanished. The second unpleasant discovery came when I walked into my bathroom. I'd gone to bed the previous night a healthy man in my early forties, the face, looking back at me from the mirror, was that of a much older man. My wrinkles had deepened into shadowed lines. My hairline had receded, and much of the hair had turned gray. My eyes had deep purplish bags under them, and my skin appeared slightly yellowed. I recoiled from the stranger in my bathroom, only realizing after the initial shock that it was my reflection. I prodded my face, confirming what the mirror showed. The skin felt rubbery and flaky, an unpleasant combination. I snarled at the book, cursing it for doing this to me. The drops of blood I'd provided had only been symbolic of the actual cost of the spells. I'd been squandering my life for petty monetary rewards. Even as I swore... Though a symbol in the book's forgotten language appeared in my mind, it whispered its name to me. Siphon. I knew what it meant, and what it would do. The book begged me to read it aloud to step outside and take the first convenient subject, but I recognized the trap. Steal a neighbor's pet, and then what? Be seen, be caught, be forced to turn to the book for more protection? Overlook, erase, evade, define, each one costing me more of my life, perpetuating the cycle. No, I was no fool. I would plan this. This would be on my terms. I went to the pet store. There was a low-walled glass box full of puppies, squirming bundles of fur no larger than my hand. 
They raced up when I approached their pen, tumbling over each other in their eagerness to see me, to be touched, adorable, innocent, and young, each one likely to live for a decade or more, ten to fifteen years there for the taking. Couldn't do it. I bought a feeder mouse, one meant to be given to a snake for a meal. Even so, I tried not to look at it as the store attendant, lifted it from its cage, trapped it in a cardboard box for me to take home. I went back to the attic this time, clearing a spot on the bare wooden floor. Following the diagram in the book, I drew a large circle, large enough to sit inside, then another larger one around it. I connected them with intertwining lines, marking certain areas with the symbols shown in the book, and partway through I no longer had to consult the book. The circle simply made sense, each line demanding the next, and it was obvious what to write where. It took no more than two minutes to draw in all of the complexity. I checked my phone afterward to confirm that I had not lost time here. I seated myself inside the circle and opened the book to siphon. Heart pounding, I put my hand into the cardboard box and pulled out the terrified mouse. It twisted in my grip, biting my thumb, but the blood it drew was required for the ritual in any case. I opened my mouth and the words began to flow forth. As before, my body calmed as the ancient language took over. My heart slowed, my thumb ceased to hurt from the bite. I held the mouse outward over the top of the circle and cut into its belly with the sharpest knife from my kitchen. It squeaked in pain and fear, but my hands moved automatically, carrying out the required gestures. I flight opened its chest, cracked its ribs, and gently pried free its tiny heart, still attached and beating. With the final word and a single swift stroke, I severed the organ from its moorings, and with one last spasm, the mouse went still. My heartbeat sped up again, sounding loud in my ears, as I looked at the dead mouse in my hands. As I watched, it collapsed rapidly inward, desiccating and fading away in my grip. The skin shrunk tight over the bones, then tore and crumbled off. The eyes rotted away in mere seconds. In less than a minute, I was holding nothing but a handful of fragile dry bones. I felt no different. My skin still had that rubbery, flaky texture, and my hands did not seem any less aged. Taking up my phone, I looked into the camera and confirmed my suspicion. I looked no younger. If anything, I looked slightly worse. The mouse's meager years had done nothing. I thought again about the puppies. The fifteen years each one could provide... I steeled myself to return to the pet store. A thought assailed me. Short, though the mouse's lifespan may have been, it should have done something. This had done nothing, or less than nothing. Before I tried again, I had to know if I'd done something wrong, and I knew how to be sure. I left the bones in the attic and went downstairs to retrieve the black cloth. The words to know were fresh in my mind, still glowing darker on dark when I tied the blindfold. As before, I remembered a day in the ornamental garden, this time fishing beside the man in the gray suit. My hook was unbaited, and I believed that his was as well. We had been there to relax. I'd been surprised when his line dipped and he reeled in a struggling carp. The balance must be maintained, he had told me, opening a container at his side and drawing forth another black fish. With an underhand throw, he lobbed it into the lake. Best when they're fresh, he told me, biting into the fish in his hand. It had flopped back and forth, coating his chin with silvery scales. I turned away, revolted and disturbed in a way I could not quite describe. I took off the blindfold, scowling. The conversation was not one-to-one. -one. Siphon took years from the target, but gave months in return. 
and the blood it took to power it represented a year of my own life. I had lost another ten months or more on the mouse. I thought once more of the puppies. Even if I slaughtered the entire pen, I'd get no more than a year back, maybe two. I needed something larger, something longer lived. I knew what I had to do, and somehow the decision was easier than it had been with the puppy. Back to the attic, and opening the book to a spell I knew was there. Fetch. The rings on my thumbs already attuned, one blood-bound to me, the other set to find things unattended, unwanted, unregarded. Hands clasped, I began to speak the words. As I spoke, I drew my palms apart, steadily widening them. The space in between shivered and bent, and when I had them far enough apart to hold a basketball, it twisted in on itself, and suddenly my hands were on the shoulders of a small child clad in rags. Indian, I think, though I could be wrong. Probably a boy. I did not ask. The child looked up at me in confusion and alarm, and I snatched up my knife and struck. Not to kill, for the spell could only take years remaining. It had to be alive for this. But I'm not cruel, and I did not want it to suffer. My first cuts were an invocation of sorts, a word of power in that ancient language. Still, I wrote on its chest, and the child went immobile. I picked it up, marveling at how little it weighed, and carried it to the circle, stepping carefully inside. I placed it at the top of the circle and gently closed its eyelids so that it would not have to watch this. I think I saw a tear gathered in the corner of one eye, though that may simply be a guilty conscience. Certainly that tear never fell. Siphon flowed through me, tore through my tongue and my knife, and soon I held the child's heart in my hand. As I cut it free, I felt power and life flow into me. My eyes snapped shut and my back arched with the intensity of the sensation. It lasted only seconds, but it felt rejuvenated. I opened my eyes again to see a collection of bones scattered over my circle, marring the lines. If I was to do this again, I would need to create something more permanent. My phone showed me a much kinder image, this time, still older than yesterday, but much improved from this morning. I smiled as I touched my face, feeling more supple skin and less prominent wrinkles. I ate heartily at dinner, though... I wondered if I should feel so good. Was I a monster? The child was unwanted, belonged to no one. It had probably been taken from the streets. The seventy years I had taken from it were a theoretical maxim in its environment. Probably it would have not even lived to be a teenager. Is it so wrong to take that which will only be thrown away? and put it to good use? I think it is not. It's simply a good use of resources, and there were so many more out there. I robbed a bank over the weekend. The wealth trick was time-consuming and yielded uncertain results. The corner of my attic had begun to look like a dragon's hoard. Strange coins, jewels, and artifacts swept haphazardly together. The coins I could at least take to a store that would exchange cash for gold. But what was I supposed to do with a silver cup with embedded sapphires? I could pry the stones out, but then what? Do jewelers buy from random men on the street? Also, I was having to fetch two or three orphans a day just to fuel the years I was burning. I experimented with parrots and other long-lived animals, but the results were always best with a human sacrifice. Their bones were piled in another corner of the attic, pushed into an untidy heap. In short, I needed a better solution, and the idea of walking off with a bank's money appealed to me. Outlaws have been robbing banks since they've existed. 
It's a classic get-rich-quick scheme with hundreds of compelling stories of both successes and failures. I love the tale of a good heist, and I was excited to conduct one of my own, especially since, with the help of my book, mine was guaranteed to be one of the successes. The plan was simple. In the interest of time, I used no again and traded a useless memory for the knowledge of the best local target. One silver fish for the gray-suited man, and I knew everything I needed to about Mr. Henry Ambor, branch manager. I could have done my own investigation, but this was faster, and I was impatient. Henry was affable. Henry was well-liked. And Henry lived alone, which was very convenient for my purposes. My original plan was to go to his house in the dead of night, don some dark clothes, skulk in the shadows, pick the lock and ambush him in his sleep. But the more I thought about it, the more I spotted things that could go wrong in that plan. For starters, I don't know how to pick locks. But the book held a solution on a page labeled Overlook. I looked in the mirror after casting it, and it was a strange sensation. I could see myself, obviously. I was right there. And yet, if you'd asked me to describe what I saw in the mirror, I would have described the room. I wouldn't have thought to mention me. I was irrelevant. I went to Henry's house in the waning daylight and sat on his porch swing, waiting for him to come home. When he pulled into the driveway, I waited for him to unlock the door and simply walked into the house behind him. He never noticed, hanging up his coat and kicking off his shoes while I rolled back his rug and began to inscribe a circle on the floor. In a twist of irony... Henry was sitting down to dinner just as I finished the preparations for the consume ritual. At the end of it, Henry's dinner was still there, but Henry was gone. His life, his mind, were now mine. A second skin I could slip into. I had his memories, knew his proudest moments and his deepest shame. And more to the point, I knew exactly how to operate the bank vault. Dawn was breaking. I ate his dinner. It had gone cold, but I think he appreciated the gesture. Although I could act exactly like Henry, I neither looked nor sounded like him. Fortunately, the book had an answer for that, too. Mimic. Oh, this book. It truly is a thing of beauty. Solutions for every occasion. And yes, there is a cost, but it is always both reasonable and manageable. For overlook, it stole away a bit of my own attention. I've always been very aware of details, so I can spare what it took and more. Consume cut away a piece of how I define myself in order to store Henry's self. I expected to feel different, but I do not. It must have taken something minor, some small vanity or pride. Nothing I missed, nothing that wasn't worth what I gained. And for Mimic, the cost was even more negligible. I lost a fragment of my self-recognition. That moment when you see yourself in a mirror in a darkened hall and startle before you realize it's your reflection, those moments will always be just a touch longer for me. My hands look slightly alien when I catch them in the corners of my vision, it's a minor piece of paranoia, well worth the money I gained. Oh, I did pull off the heist. Mimic used the putty to form a mask for my face, one molded into a perfect likeness of Henry. Speaking through it distorted my voice into his as well. This final piece allowed me to waltz into the bank, bold as brass, and held myself to its money. Now, even the branch manager cannot simply walk out with bags of cash, unless he has a gun, which Henry did. He had never brought it to work, of course, but I did. I opened the bank for the morning. I let the first tellers in. Then I relocked the door, trained my handgun on the security guard, and demanded his weapon. He stared at me and asked if this was a joke. So I shot him. I'd never fired a gun before neither had Henry, 
He'd bought it for home defense and kept it unloaded in an upstairs closet. He was slightly afraid of it. The guard fell, blood spurting from a hole in his guts. He clasped his hands over as if to hold it in, but the wall behind him was painted with the red spray, and it was pulling at an alarming rate. Realizing it was futile, he fumbled for his holster, so I walked over and shot him again in the head. The tellers were screaming, but their screams quickly choked off into whimpers when I wheeled and turned the gun on them. Cora, Samuel, you don't have to die, I told him. I'm going to take the money and leave. Stay calm and you'll be fine. After I had Cora help me open the vault, I bound the tellers with tape. They let me do it, and I, I think they believed me. The police came, of course. I opened a negotiation with them to stall for time. I'm sure they were doing the same thing to me, but whatever they planned to bring to bear was nothing compared to the secrets of my book. I used Mimic again, this time to make more than a mask. The jar had seemed never-ending, but I was scraping the bottom by the time I had pulled enough out to make a mock, a life-size, functioning replica of Henry Armbar, French manager. I gave it my clothes, handed it my gun, and wished it Godspeed. It grinned at me, a happy, guileless look. I used Overlook to walk out of the bank's front door, clad only in my underwear and pushing a cart with nearly $100,000 in cash. I walked directly past the police officers. I even congratulated them on their rapid response time. None of them so much as glanced in my direction. The news that night informed me that an attempted bank robbery had ended in tragedy all of the hostages had been shot, and the robber had been killed by police. The Henry in my head whimpered a bit at this. Perhaps I can trade him the gray-suited man. An entire person's life must be worth more than a single memory. I certainly don't need him anymore. I do need some more putty, though. And conveniently, I've also been needing to get rid of the bones of my attic. I believe I'll be spending the day with Meld, but first to fetch something young. I'm lost. I am lost. I think things have gone terribly wrong. I found these notes, these writings, my discovery of the book. I don't remember any of them. I don't remember anything. I don't know what I've done that isn't recorded here. I don't know who I am. I have a wallet that says I'm Lazar Yardinoff. I have a whispering voice in my head that says I'm Henry Armbor. These notes say that neither of those are right. I don't know what the right answer is. The face in the mirror is withered, frightening, and unfamiliar. My body responds only reluctantly to my commands. I do not know what has happened since the bank. When I try to recollect... I feel as though the threads of my very self are being pulled apart, as if I am a threadbare blanket being stretched to its limits. I think I've done terrible things, to others and to myself. I have a cell phone I don't recognize, but it opens to my fingerprint. I am in an unfamiliar house, but the keys to it are in my pocket. I feel comfortable in the attic, cluttered and morbid though it is, the floor is covered with symbols from the book. I feel at home among them. The book, I recall. I know every symbol in it, every word. It is a language of elegance, a literary ballet. It is beautiful, so unlike this clunky, ill-designed language of day-to-day -day communications. It throbs in my mind, speaking to me of power, of life. It begs me to feed it, to release its abilities. I want to indulge it just as it wants to indulge me. We are one. I hate it, I think. I cannot be sure. All I remember outside of this day, this moment, is a garden. A lovely, expansive garden, planted with carefully tended ornamental trees, overlooking scenic paths which sweep gently around a placid lake. 
black fish flit excitedly within the lake's waters. I catch an occasional glimpse of silver as well, an oddity among the dark inhabitants. A wolf often sits on the far side of the lake, staring into the waters. He's tame, I think, but I occasionally catch him watching me hungrily. Out of the corner of my eye, I sometimes think he looks like a man in a gray suit, crouched down and waiting. The sky is blue and cloudless. The temperature is perfect. The paths are paved with crushed fish bones. I've always lived in the garden, I think. I don't know how I came to the house with the cluttered, compelling attic. I think the book brought me. I think I've always had the book. I love its words, its spells. They sing with power. I can define reality, causing others to believe whatever I wish. I can sight distant places, other times. I can see everything, touch everything. I am a god, and all the book demands is to be fed. I have given it all I can of myself. I am a husk. But this is not the end. Three circles mark the cover of the book, three interlocked shapes. My blood stains one, my tie to the book. The topmost circle is the book itself, its power, its love, and its hunger. But the third circle is vampiric. I'm not the first to find the book. I am not the first to bond with it. And as I feed the book to use its power, part of every sacrifice I make is bled off by the maker of the third circle. His link corrupts my pure connection to the book, stealing away my power, diminishing the book's abilities. I cannot break the circle. I have tried, failed, and paid the price. I am damaged and too weak to try again. But though I cannot break it, I am not defeated. The wolf once whispered a secret to me, a story of creation. I thought the cost too high then. I do not think so now. My skin for the leather. My blood for the ink. A bone hollowed and sharpened for the quill. The pain is immeasurable, but I can restore this all. My copies are identical to the original book, with one key difference. It is my blood tied to the vampiric circle. I will be the one borrowing power from the future users, or past. All times are one. Let the one before me steal what he will from me. I will steal from others. The book will make me whole, and I will make myself great. 1411 2027-0901-225504-43-10-50-2357. negative minus 96 49, 17, 52, 22, 151, 12, 34, 15, 71. All the copies I could make. Sent where and when sight insisted they would be best received. My pupils. My progeny. My patsies. They will feed me. And I will feed the book. I hope you enjoyed The Dark Book, as written by Micah Edwards and performed by yours truly. 
If you enjoyed that story, you can help support our featured author and enjoy more of the lore behind the dark book and the many others that have crossed paths with this terrifying tome by picking up a copy of Micah's latest novel entitled Y'all Hazard, available now on Amazon.com in both Kindle and paperback editions. You can pick up a copy today at simplyscarypodcast.com slash edwards. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash edwards, and you'll be redirected to Amazon, where you can dig into the book today. As an Amazon associate, a portion of your purchase made, uh, using that URL is provided to us as well as the author. In Y'all Hazard, we'll travel to Rosin's Hollow, which was once a silver mine town. That is, until the mines dried up. Now it's nothing but the last refuge of the hopeless. In Edward's epic novel, eight lost souls remain in the once thriving town, with futures as barren as the scrublands. Each one is just waiting for the desert to reclaim them, along with their remnants of their town. But the Cerro Muerte mine still has a few tricks up its sleeve. Get your copy of Y'all Hazard by Micah Edwards today, the book that readers are saying is sure to delight the casual and experienced reader. And that's recommended for fans of both mystery and horror by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Edwards. You won't be sorry you did, and be sure, if you enjoy it, to leave a five-star review and a kind word, and let the author know you heard about him here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. I'd like to also thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon 
to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.